0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As is sometimes the case, we're not sure as we proceed whether we will have a guest or two on this particular show. We'll just have to see. We do have to note that we're sometimes just as surprised as you are as this show progresses. I can, however, point out one thing that we for sure will not be discussing at length on today's program, which would be the three ages of Atlantis. Yes, I keep getting postcards from somebody at publicity at com who seems to think we want to talk about subjects like Atlantis. Now, it is our stated belief in this program, we've said it before and we'll say it again, that the topic of Atlantis is a perfectly legitimate one for conversation. If, however, that conversation goes beyond 45 seconds, you have a problem on your hands. And if we were to spend more than 45 seconds talking about some of the crackpot theories in this particular book that's being touted, such as the fact that um, 15,000 years ago, there was a worldwide super flood, which coincided with the freezing of Antarctica— which they've tied into a diaspora from Atlantis. Whether Elvis appears somewhere along the way inside of a flying saucer, we don't know, but we're not going to check it out any further. And I mentioned it only to point out to you, dear listener, the kind of things we have to put up with in our effort to bring you quality entertainment while keeping you informed. And I think at this juncture, I will jump right into On This Date in History, which is our usual method of starting this program. The date in question today is the 10th of October, the 10th day of the 10th month, even though the Oct in October implies it's the 8th month, which I guess it was back when the Romans started the new year in March. Blessed lest I digress, let me note that it was on October 10th in the year 680, where Hussein ibn Ali, grandson of the Prophet Muhammad, died in battle in what is now Iraq. Modern Shiite Muslims revere him as the third imam and commemorate his death with the holy day of Ashura. And yes, it was at this, the Battle of Karbala, that the Shiite and Sunni sects of Islam split. Oddly enough, 52 years later on this date, October 10th, 732, at the Battle of Tours, the Frankish leader Charles Martel, who was a Christian, defeated a large army of Spanish Moors, Halting the Muslim advance into Western Europe. Martel's grandson would become the Emperor Charlemagne. I am proud to note that I am a descendant of Charlemagne. And according to genealogists, if you have any European blood, dear listener, so are you. All right, here's one that requires some bouncy music. It was on October 10th in 1845 that the United States Naval Academy opened in Annapolis, Maryland. It had 50 midshipmen students and seven professors. Moving right along, it was on October 10th in 1881 and a year before his death that Charles Darwin published The Formation of Vegetable Mold Through the Action of Worms, a work he viewed as more important than his great achievement, the origin of species. Now, a couple years back on this program, we talked about bringing you author Amy Stewart, who wrote a tremendous book titled The Earth Moved on the Remarkable Achievement of Earthworms. We never got around to doing that, but it's a good book, and I'll bet that Amy Stewart will come and talk to us if we just ask her. So perhaps we shall, Mr. McMillan. On October 10, 1957, an embarrassed President Dwight D. Eisenhower apologized to Ghana's finance minister, Komla Abge Gadaman, who had been refused service at a restaurant in Dover, Delaware because he was black. On October 10, 1967, the Outer Space Treaty took effect. It was ratified by the United States and the Soviet Union and some other countries. It prohibited nuclear weapons in space. This did stop. this did not stop. President Ronald Reagan in 1983 from believing the flapdoodle of madman genius Edward Teller, who tried to convince him that putting nuclear weapons in space was a good idea. Presumably somewhere along the way, his legal scholars told him this would not violate the Outer Space Treaty, even though, of course, it would. It's hard to imagine the untold billions of dollars we have largely wasted on this effort To militarize space. Of course, one good thing that did come out of it was adaptive optics, which allows us to see out into space much better than we could before, thanks to some whiz bang technology. Anyway, final item October 10th, 1973. Remember this day very well. I was planning to take a quarter out of my schooling here at UCD and what was called stop out to go and do something else for that 10 week period. I chose to get in my MG and drive across the United States, during which time I attended the Watergate hearings taking place in Washington, D.C., but on this date, October 10th, a few days before I departed, I went over to my grandparents' house, and my grandfather informed me that Spiro Agnew had resigned. And indeed, Nixon's Veep became the first U.S. Vice President to resign in disgrace, leading no contest to a charge of federal income tax evasion in exchange for dropped charges of political corruption. Turns out the U.S. Justice Department had found evidence indicating that Agnew had continued to accept his practice of accepting bribes while he was a Maryland governor into his vice presidency, which was kind of a remarkably dumb thing to do. Of course, once Agnew was no longer vice president and thus the man that would become president if Richard Nixon was impeached, Nixon's political troubles only increased. Because up to that point, many a political wag had referred to Vice President Agnew as Nixon's impeachment insurance. And speaking of Spiro Agnew, which is something I'll probably never ever say again on this show, yours truly became a fan of the National Lampoon magazine when he cracked the pages back in, I guess it was 1970, to see an item titled, Make Your Own Agnew Speech. It turned out that Nixon's speechwriters were turned over to Agnew to come up with some fiery rhetoric for him to say things that Nixon himself wouldn't dare. Thus, it was that Agnew famously denounced critics of the administration as nattering nabobs of negativism, which caused Henry Beard, in writing Make Your Own Agnew speech, to come up with the following. My friends, we have been blank too long. The time has come to blank. Among your choices in composing your own Agnew speech were, My friends, we have been addled by abracadabra too long. The time has come to clobber the churlish chuff cats of corruption. Or maybe you'd prefer this one. My friends, we have been jaded by jibber-jabber for too long. The time has come to flambay the feckless four flushers of fakery. And since comedy comes in threes, we'll do one more. My friends, we have been vexed by ventilation for too long. The time has come to drub the daffy dilettantes of defeat. That crew they had working for National Lampoon in the early 70s went on to bring us such things as the National Lampoon Radio Hour, Saturday Night Live, Second City Television, and movies such as Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman. And of course, Animal House. Our quote of the day comes from Sinclair Lewis, who once said, The trouble with this country is that there are too many people going around saying The trouble with this country is our quote of the day comes from David Letterman's writers, who noted that the new hundred dollar bill is different. First of all, it's only worth ten bucks. And our joke of the day comes from the writers for Jay Leno who said, In Philadelphia, a historic tavern, a tavern that was frequented by our founding fathers, has closed because of the government shutdown. It opened in 1773. In fact, this iconic watering hole was once the scene of a legendary brawl between Benjamin Franklin and John McCain. Our stats of the day, and we have two, and I'm not sure which is the scarier, because they're both pretty terrifying, are, first of all, according to the National Endowment for the Arts, Only 47% of Americans say they read a book for pleasure last year. Ouch. But how about this one? According to the Wall Street Journal, nearly half of American eighth graders cannot put three fractions in order of value. It was noted, of course, that fractions are typically introduced to students in the third grade. Yet we have mathematical authorities in this country that want to teach eighth graders algebra. Well, maybe we better concentrate on fractions. All right, let's go into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this past week for the greatest generation after a group of veterans broke through barricades to enter Washington's World War II memorial, which had been closed by the government shutdown. Said Tom Lucas, age 87, we took on the Germans and the Japs and we whipped them. And then we have to take this sort of thing. In using the term Japs, Mr. Lucas was referring to citizens of Japanese national identity. And we might want to note at this point that considering... That sort of language appropriate is an opinion, which does not necessarily represent that of KDBS, our sponsors, or the University of California, or for that matter, the host. But as far as I'm concerned, if Tom Lucas and members of his generation wanted to break into the World War II memorial because the government had shut down, they can say whatever they want. Because how pathetic is that? Well, maybe as pathetic as our next item. It turns out it was a bad week last week for some of the idiots at the NRA with the news that NBC canceled an NRA-sponsored hunting show after it aired video of the host shooting an African elephant in the face and then celebrating with a glass of champagne. Evidently, when the episode of Under Wild Skies sparked protests, host Tony Macris said elephants were no different than birds and likened his critics to Hitler. NBC called Macris's comments outrageous and unacceptable. And frankly, we'd like to see Tom Lucas, and members of his generation, kick his ass. We'd like to further note that we believe elephants are significantly different than birds. Moving right along, it was an ugly week last week, and again, we're quoting the week for this item. For getaways, after a fugitive attempted to escape Michigan police by frantically pedaling a paddle boat across a lake. Yes, apparently um, fugitive Mark Rude chose an especially poor method of attempted escape because he, <laughs> he apparently capsized the boat and sank it, after which he swam back to shore where he was arrested. You do have to feel a bit for the guy when he was in the pokey and one of his fellow prisoners probably turned to him and said, so how'd you wind up here? And finally, in what has to be a bad and ugly week for, well, take your pick, either our valiant allies, the Saudis, or driving with ovaries, with the news that the Saudi religious authorities are resorting to scare tactics to deter women from participating in a driving protest. In a campaign called October 26th Driving, feminists are calling on Saudi women to defy the country's ban on women driving cars by getting behind the wheel on that day. The government has already shut down the campaign's website and Facebook page. And this week, a prominent cleric warned that driving hurts women's childbearing prospects. Sheikh Saleh bin Saad al-Lohaydin said that driving, quote, affects the ovaries and pushes the pelvis upward, unquote, resulting in, quote, children with clinical problems of varying degrees, unquote. It is noted that Saudi women must shroud their faces and bodies entirely in public and may not travel without a male companion. Yes, this was the government we had to prop up due to the threat posed by neighboring Iraq. All right, from the Only in America file, or maybe it's from the Only in New Jersey file, we have this item. Newark Mayor Cory Booker admitted last week that he had exchanged Twitter messages with a stripper, explaining he was just engaging... the public. Exotic dancer Lindsay Lee, who works at a vegan strip club in Portland, Oregon, revealed private messages that she had received from Booker, who is single. After she tweeted that she had dibs on First Lady if he became president, Booker wrote, the East Coast loves you. And by the East Coast, I mean me. Now, a spokesperson for the mayor has said the messages were innocuous and just showed only how accessible he is. The spokesman then elaborated, and on this one, I think we have to agree with him, that the most shocking thing about this story is the news that there's a vegan strip club in Portland, Oregon. Now, Mr. Millen does have some, some connections up in Portland, so we're going we're gonna to look into this one. Now, his previous research indicates that the Acropolis is uh, Portland's strip club of choice. He does not know whether it is now vegan. All right, how about from the Only in Russia file? According to the Novaya Gazeta, Russian youth are being paid to shill for the government all over the internet. Evidently, an ad has run on Russian social media networks this summer, offering full-time work for about $800 a month, which is the average Russian wage, to comment on certain articles or posts. Said the ad, get paid to blog, weekly paychecks and free food. Yes, these bloggers are supposed to praise Moscow Mayor Sergei Sobyanin and President Vladimir Putin. They're supposed to also abuse opposition leader Alexei Navalny and America, and also defend Syria. Now right, let's do a bit of follow-up. We've talked on this show about global warming deniers on a regular basis. This didn't stop one of our frequent contributors from writing me an email about a week or two ago and saying, I want you to explain to me this latest report on global warming, because according to the study, it's just not that bad. I replied, no, I don't have to explain this to you. Any more than I have to explain to you why creationism is a bunch of BS. But in case you're listening, my gullible friend, let me cite this item. The Northwest Passage is open for trade. Carrying a heavy load of coal and accompanied by Canadian icebreakers, the Nordic Orion became the first large cargo vessel to transport goods through the Arctic from Vancouver to Finland. The ship could carry 25% more coal on the Arctic route than it could if it had to pass through the shallow Panama Canal, and the route is more than 1,000 nautical miles shorter and thus saves four days. It should be noted that global warming has made this passage possible as Arctic sea ice retreats. Edward Call, described as the head of Bulk Partners, the holding company that owns the Nordic Orion, said the melting in various places is alarming, but it's creating opportunities that weren't there before. I also want to note in following up and visiting uh, AT&T Park to watch the Giants week before last, which was kind of cool, that there was something about it that was really creepy. Behind the uh, right field stands, somebody was operating a remote drone with a camera on it. This little mini helicopter with uh, eight rotors on it was carrying a camera up above the crowd and moving back and forth. It was being broadcast actually on the big screen, which I think made a lot of us wonder how long before these ever more inexpensive little spy devices are going to become a plague in all of our lives. Of course, to the paparazzi of the world, like Edward Call, this represents an opportunity that wasn't there before. And of course, in this program, we often use uh, the writers of late-night TV for their constant uh, stream of high-quality jokes. So it is with gladness we report the following. David Letterman, already the longest-tenured talk show host on late-night TV, has agreed to extend his contract with CBS to remain on the late-night show into 2015. This deal means that Letterman will compete directly for at least a year with the two Jimmies, Kimmel and Fallon. Letterman, who's now 66, joked last Friday that he had a lengthy discussion with CBS President Leslie Moonves and noted, quote, we both agreed that I needed a little more time to fully run the show into the ground, unquote. All right, let's wrap up this particular segment with a man who's appeared not only on David Letterman's late night program, but also on this one, our pal Will Durst.
1: Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the Republican showdown, shutdown, shakedown. Government's closed, everybody. Go home. Except Congress, whose members are still getting paid, classified as essential workers. Although right now, neither one of those words sounds very apt. A minority of the majority of one House of Congress is holding the country hostage. Down on the floor, America, and hands behind your backs. If anybody moves, we'll shoot them. And we better agree to their extortion demands if we ever want to see Panda Cam again. To say the cruise crazies really don't like Obamacare is like saying brown-spotted bananas make for substandard grouting material. The tassels on the fringe of the GOP seem willing to sacrifice everything to get rid of easy access to health care coverage. The recovery, their reputation, the country's credit rating, John Boehner's tan. What they really need is a time machine, because this issue has already been settled by the legislative, executive, and judicial branches of the government. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is three out of three. You don't negotiate settled law. If the Kamikaze caucus gets their way on this, what's next? Another shutdown demanding Democrats defund the EPA? One guy from Oklahoma threatening to hold his breath till he turns blue if an oil derrick doesn't replace George Washington on the $1 bill? Repeal the law of gravity? Sometimes it seems like a smokescreen, so people don't talk about how cheap and easy it is to sign up for health care coverage on the web this week. And for a group so loudly consumed with the deficit, these crybabies don't seem very upset by the shutdown costing $300 million a day. Hey, $300 million here, $300 million there. As Everett Dirksen once pointed out, pretty soon you're talking real money. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst.
0: Yeah, it's so true. When it comes to politics, follow the money. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We got lots more. Stick around. That's what I want.